What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. I am Pete. Yep, you can hear the latest episodes at thepetecalendarshow.com and any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Be uh, be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast. Really helps out. Uh, also, you can join the Facebook group. It is at the Pete Callender Show. Ironically enough, uh, and a lot of great people uh, in the group solving all of the world's problems. Uh, you can also consider, if you'd like, becoming a patron of the program. Those are always appreciated. Folks like Dennis and Eric and Eric and uh, and also Eric and Eugene. And I appreciate all of the support. It's what uh, helps keep the show going. Um, so I uh, sat and watched not just the governor's press conference, which there wasn't really a lot of news out of the governor's press conference, but uh, I also sat, after I was done watching the governor's press conference yesterday, I sat and watched the president's press conference yesterday, which apparently that was more than CNN did. CNN, well, I shouldn't say that. There was somebody obviously watching the press conference because they had to know when to join the press conference, which was when the president stopped speaking during his uh, when he came out and he made his opening remarks, CNN did not carry that. You see, because there's a lot of media people that are like, oh, the president is lying and it's misinformation and it's going to get people killed. So we're like not going to carry his part of the press conference. And that's what CNN did. They did not take his first part of the press conference yesterday, uh, which, by the way, it's kind of ironic because CNN was also leading the charge in demanding that the White House hold its daily briefings. And then when the White House stopped it, um, they got all outraged about it, demanding the daily briefings. And then the president is doing daily briefings uh, on the coronavirus. And then CNN says, well, we can't trust anything. He says, so we're not going to carry his portions of it. But I think they realized pretty quickly because they were monitoring it. And then they rejoined it when uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the head of infectious disease uh, control, and then um, uh, Deborah Burks, who is the coordinator for the task force, uh, that when they started talking, CNN joined back up with them. And then they kind of remained for a lot of the uh, a lot of the press conference. Now, there, now I am not going to criticize these networks for dropping out after two hours. Two hours. I understand the importance of the press conference, but at some point, come on, folks. Like, I think it was Andrew McCarthy who said, like, the gong should have rung on this one a long time ago. Like, that, this was, it was too long. It went over two hours. I stopped watching at about like two hours and five minutes or so, and I know that because I was recording also, um, which I have now uh, uh, parsed it down into the best uh, roughly 23 minutes of the two hours. It didn't last much longer, so you didn't, uh, I didn't miss much after I, uh, <clears throat> after I dropped out. There's only like five or ten minutes left. But I understand why people are not going to sit there and watch the entire thing. And that's a long time to watch. And then there are some people who didn't see any of it. And when you have that kind of content, to an, you know, over two hours of content, it becomes more difficult to try and distill down the, the most important pieces of sound and information. It becomes a little bit more difficult uh, for media types, especially if you're working on a tight, window you know like you only are allowed to have 90 seconds to tell a story so here's two hours worth of audio and all a lot of it was really important so i distilled it down to 23 minutes i watched the whole thing i did the editing and uh i do it because i'm a giver right i am a giver and you don't have the time nor inclination to watch a two-hour press conference i get it so i did it 
I'm a giver. You know who also is a giver, by the way? Chuck at Mattress Man, all of the folks over at Mattress Man. Uh, it's true. Like, this is one of the things that they, uh, one of the things they did uh, and have been doing, you know, over the course of the years is donating mattresses, donating beds to local charities and organizations that need it. Uh, he also hires veterans. He makes a point to hire veterans. Uh it's that kind of uh, it's that kind of heart and business ethic that Chuck has that uh, makes me really honored to be able to uh, be an ambassador for his business at Mattressman. Mattressmanstores.com is the website. They retooled their entire website knowing that a lot of people are going to now be shopping from home. Um, and so what you can do now is go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, click on the shop online button, and... You can order right now free local white glove delivery service. Uh, and if you use the special discount code RESTWELL, you'll get an additional 20% savings site-wide. So you can buy online from the inventory they have in stock, okay? And they have a 120-day comfort guarantee that ensures that you're going to love the mattress, okay? So if you don't, they'll exchange it for free for a limited time, the 120-day comfort guarantee at Mattress Man Stores. Uh, sleep is really, really important, and nowadays, are you getting a good night's sleep? It might be the mattress. Look, it may not just be. It may not. <laughs> it may not be all of the COVID stuff, right? It could. Ju- it could just be a bad mattress that you've got. So you need to get a better mattress. Okay, head on over to mattressmanstores.com and experience the difference. Buy local, sleep better. So, the president press conference yesterday a lot of good information and if there's one thing that i want people to take out of this it is well okay well yeah all right so if there's one thing then please this is serious and the next two weeks are going to be bad that's the prediction the projections based on all of the models and this is what the president said yesterday said this is a matter of life and death These are direct quotes. He said, we have already sacrificed a lot, but we're going to have to sacrifice more. President Donald Trump said, even with mitigation efforts being implemented, Americans need to accept the likelihood that we're going to see 100,000 deaths from COVID-19. 100,000 deaths at least. Our country is in the midst of a great national trial, unlike any we have ever faced before. You all see it. You see it probably better than most. We're at war with a deadly virus. Success in this fight will require the full, absolute measure of our collective strength, love, and devotion. Very important. Each of us has the power, through our own choices and actions, to save American lives and rescue the most vulnerable among us. That's why we really have to do what we all know is right. Every citizen is being called upon to make sacrifices. Every business is being asked to fulfill its patriotic duty. Every community is making fundamental changes to how we live, work, and interact each and every day. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this going on long into the future when this virus is gone and defeated. Some of the things we're doing now will be very good practice for the future, including for not getting the flu, which is very devastating also. 
So some of what we're learning now will live on into the future. I really believe that shaking hands or not shaking hands, washing hands all the time, staying a little apart. Fifteen days ago, we published our nationwide guidelines to slow the spread of the virus. On Sunday, I announced that this campaign will be extended until April 30th. April 30th. This is now the campaign, and you probably already, I did, I got in the mail a postcard from the president. And, uh, well, uh, and it's, you know, the postcard is running through all of the recommendations for the next 30 days. Self-isolation, staying at home, social distancing, washing your hands a lot, using hand sanitizer, keeping everything disinfected, all of it. The president said, though, that the next two weeks uh, are going to be very difficult and deadly. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. We're going to go through a very tough two weeks. And then hopefully, as the experts are predicting, as I think a lot of us are predicting after having studied it so hard, you're going to start seeing some real light at the end of the tunnel. But this is going to be a very painful, very, very painful two weeks. When you look and see at night the kind of death that's been caused by this invisible enemy, it's, it's incredible. I was watching last night Governor Murphy of New Jersey say 29 people died today, meaning yesterday, and others talking about numbers far greater. But you get to know a state. I know New Jersey so well, and you hear 29 people and uh, hundreds in other locations, hundreds in other states. And this is going to be a rough two-week period. As a nation, we face a difficult few weeks as we approach that, that really important day when we're going to see things get better all of a sudden. And it's going to be like a burst of light, I really think and I hope. Our strength will be tested and our endurance will be tried. But America will answer with love and courage and ironclad resolve. This is the time for all Americans to come together and do our part. That, if, if there's another message I want you to take out of uh, this show and the president's address yesterday, uh, and he was joined by Vice President Mike Pence. He was also joined by doctors Burks and Fauci. Um, it is that we really do as a nation need to put aside a lot of the petty political grievances and differences and such. We need to put a lot of that stuff aside. I understand that when times are good, you can focus on the navel gazing and such. Um, Okay. You can focus on the details. You know, we can, we can nitpick about differences and direction and all that. Uh, But I think at a time like this, we kind of all need to, to bite our tongues a little bit and set some of that stuff aside I am trying as well. I'm not perfect at it, but I am trying. Um, doc, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks says, that, and she's in charge of the White House's uh, uh, coronavirus response uh, task force. She's the coordinator. She's in, tar- in charge of that. And she says that the, uh, the 100,000 deaths projection is just that. It is a projection. And Dr. Anthony Fauci says that they are hopeful that they can get that number lower, but that's going to depend on the American public. All right, so now this is sort of the data and the modeling portion of the program. 
uh, and they had some charts that they were showing. And if you can imagine this, if you haven't seen a picture of the chart, um, it's it, it you know it looks like this uh, you know it's steep incline. It's like a bell curve, but it's kind of sharper of an increase on the left side, and then it kind of drifts off and 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 it's more sloping down to the right. And they call that part the tail. So what that indicates is the sharp increase in cases and then the dissipation over time. And that's and so you can do this with, you know, with uh, the number of deaths. You could do it with the number of uh, people who test positive. You can do it with the number uh, uh, of new cases that arise. Uh, you can do it with those who recover. You can do it with all of the different data points. And so and all of the different data points are going to tell you different things, uh, particularly when you compare and contrast them to other data points. So what they were looking at here was the deaths. And it looks like this sharp increase bell curve, you know, real steep at the left side, and then it uh, kind of levels off at the top, and then drifts off to the right in the tail. And that those uh, that where that tail is, this is by uh, the bottom axis is by month, and so it's showing you over time how many deaths are going to be occurring, and these deaths go into June. Okay, that's how, and because what you're going to see is flare ups all around the country, the the next waves of where the flare-ups are going to occur because there was this lag between when the virus first, uh, first arrives in a place and then community spread where it takes off and then the number of deaths spike and then they, they peter out. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of problems associated with projections and modeling. It's not perfect. It can't ever be, particularly in real-time, rapidly evolving crises like this okay so people who want some sort of like oh i don't understand why they're not giving me you know the better data and and you know why are these projections being reassessed and redone well you want them to be redone because it shows that there's new data coming in and hopefully the new data that comes in lowers those predictions however at this point they're using uh, and she'll explain this uh, as we go. They're using the data that we are now collecting in America. There is some data in like from the, originally that was part of like uh, Italy and Spain, where we were seeing in other countries what their responses were, and they weren't very good. Um, but now we have our own data coming out of New York and Seattle and Washington State, California, and we're using that data to build the models. Uh, but the models are always going to be changing based on new inputs based on whether states and counties acted early or late and how successful they were and how successful we were in trying to, you know, flatten that curve, that bell curve, right? So they are hopeful that they can get this number lower, but they say it's really going to depend on the American public. It's a projection based on using um, very much what's happened in Italy and then looking at all the models. Um, and so as you saw on that slide, that was our real number, that 100,000 to 200,000. And we think that that is the range. We really believe and hope every day that we can do a lot better than that um, because that's not assuming 100% of every American does everything that they're supposed to be doing. But I think that's possible. Over the next two weeks, is you, you said the next two weeks are going to be very painful. Is the bulk of this going to happen over the next you know, two you weeks? No, you'll have an upslope. So as mortality, the fatalities to this disease will increase, and then it will come back down, and it will come back down slower than the rate at which it went up. 
And so that's, that is really the issue, how, how much we can push the mortality down. Yeah. So our hope is to get that down as, fur, as far as we possibly can. The, the modeling that Dr. Berg showed predicts that number that you saw. We don't accept that number that that's what's going to be. We're going to we do everything we can to get it even significantly below that. So, you know, I don't want it to be a mixed message. This is the thing that we need to anticipate, but that doesn't mean that that's what we're going to accept. We want to do much, much better than that. But doctor, when we look at the curve, it goes much further in time. So we would have deaths and cases for much longer. I mean, we do expect so you can put slide number two. So that's a generic. I'm sorry, if you can go back to the slides and put up slide two. That's a, okay, so what I showed you was a generic picture of what happens in an epidemic when you mitigate. So no mitigation, mitigate. This is based on the experience around the globe with this particular virus. And so it does have a tail, but the peak you can see by this projection, and this is the IHME um, data, um, the peak is over the next two weeks, and that's uh, and this is tracking mortality, so the number of fatalities from this virus, and so that's the part that we think we can still blunt through the superb medical care that every client is receiving, but also even more stringent people following the guidelines. I can't see the small uh, characters, but are, are we seeing death until June? I can't really... This is June. This is June. So we'd, we would still see problems and deaths in June. No. It's a projection. It's a projection, of course. So, I mean, just getting back to what I said about the stepwise thing, deaths always lag. So you will be seeing deaths at a time when, as an epidemic, we're doing really, really well because the deaths will lag. Dr. Fauci, should Americans be prepared for the likelihood that there will be 100,000 Americans who die from this virus? The, the answer is yes. We need, as, as, as sobering a number as that is, we should be prepared for it. Is it going to be that much? I hope not. And I think the more we push on the mitigation, the less likelihood it would be that number. But as being realistic, we need to prepare ourselves that that is a possibility that that's what we will see. Very short period of time for that to happen. Right. Can the country handle that in such a short period of time within a couple of months? Yeah. 50,000 a month. You know, it will be difficult. I mean, no one is denying the fact that we are going through a very, very difficult time right now. I mean, we're seeing what's happening in New York. That is really, really tough. And if you extrapolate that to the nation, that will be really tough, but it, that's what it is, Jim, and we're going to have to be prepared for that. Yeah, I think because the model, that model that was from IHME, that's based and heavily laden by the data that has come in from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. So, you know, that can skew to a higher peak and more significant mortality. If all of the other states are able, and all the other metro areas are able to hold that case number down, then it's a very different picture. But you have to predict on the data you have, which is heavily skewed to New York and New Jersey. Right. And so maybe uh, that data 
because it's heavily skewed to include, because it includes New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, which is they've not done well. That tri-state area, not done well. Um, and there are reasons for that, um, not the least of which is uh, the, uh, the heavy Chinese population that is in New York uh, and the metro area, but also the, uh, the early steps by local leaders in New York City to uh, downplay the coronavirus threat uh, because, you know, Donald Trump, uh, what was it, January 21st, he uh, shut down travel from China and the natural tendency that a lot of people have is if Trump does it, it must be bad. So uh, they ran around telling everybody, no, 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 it's totally fine. Have your, you know, Lunar New Year, whatever it is, you know, have your big celebrations, have your parties. Uh, You know, Trump's a racist and that may end up costing a lot of people lives. It might, uh, their lives. It, it, it might. Um, and that's unfortunate. It really, and it's sad. Um, but if you take another thing away from this program and what the, uh, the president's press conference last night uh, covered as well. Uh, so uh, first off, uh, these are the three things, the big takeaways here, right? The number one is that uh, this is serious. Number two is we really need to pull together. And number three, blame China. Blame China. Because uh, without the data required to make an informed decision that would have come from China in those first two months, we didn't have them. And so it just left everybody uh, guessing. And when you're just guessing and your political opponent and somebody that you think is a habitual liar uh, says that, oh, well, I think this is the way to go, uh, then everybody immediately rushes in the other direction if they don't like that person. And vice versa, right? So uh, Dr. Fauci said this number, this 100,000 number is a number that we should anticipate, but we do not have to accept that it is inevitable. We can influence it to varying degrees. Vice President Mike Pence, uh, who gave a lot of really good comments, I did not, I I didn't pull, I think there's one audio clip with him in it, but he had, uh, he, he did provide some really good, uh, if you have some time to go back and watch, and maybe I'll pull some of this audio for uh, a later date, but uh, he did have some good information uh, on the the sort of the operational side of things and how, you know, the, uh, the resources are being deployed and FEMA's role and how that all happened. And what is pretty interesting is to hear... Uh, is to hear sort of the competing narratives that bubble up in these press conferences. And it's pretty obvious that a lot of these people that are asking the questions don't really have any idea, have never covered state and local crisis management. It's what it seems like to me, at least. It's pretty obvious, at least, to me. Um, uh, just some of the questions that they're asking. Also, there is this uh, sort of built-in bias or assumption, it seems, that, uh, you know, that GovCo can fix and save us, uh, fix the problem and save us uh, from this virus. Uh, and, and like there's, I don't know, maybe I'm just different in that way. And I think maybe a lot of limited government or libertarian type people are, which is that uh, we just kind of accept the truth that government cannot protect us from all the things it says it can. Um, I think a lot of Second Amendment advocates know this as well right that's the old joke uh well when police are 
what is it when oh next it's the old joke now i've now i've I've bricked the joke uh you know when oh it's when when seconds count cops are minutes away yeah and that's not a knock on police officers i mean they can't bend the rules of you know space and time in order to arrive at your particular location to save you from a bad guy with a gun right like that's uh it's it's sort of this false promise that a lot of people uh get get suckered into accepting that uh, that government can save them from all of the things and uh it's a it's a much easier yeah i mean it's it is it's a much easier um uh, uh, state of mind to live in than to be constantly vigilant and preparing and have to you know suffer the the snide and smug comments oh are you a prepper oh yeah you're in your bunker like all of those jokes i'm not hearing a lot of those jokes nowadays you know um so vice president mike pence he said we're going to get through this but it's going to take all of us doing our part together And uh, he says, we are all being asked to make sacrifices, and the purpose of this is to help save lives, okay? It's to help save lives. President Trump said if the U.S. did nothing, the projection would be between 1.5 to 2.2 million dead. But the administration um, acted early, he says, you know, with the China ban. Uh, The question now that Jim Acosta is asking repeatedly is, did the administration do enough early on, right? Keeps asking this. Did they do enough early on? Um, we'll take a listen to Jim Acosta's series of questions here in a minute. First, let me tell you about Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Uh, they are real estate agents here in the mountains, uh, and uh, they understand the current events very well. Uh, Rowena, uh, I've talked with her about this uh, about two weeks ago, and uh you know, like every, it, this is impacting us in ways that are going to be felt for a long, long time to come. And if you were if you were needing to sell your home before all of this happened, I still like when I go out to grocery shop, I still see people's you know real estate signs or open house signs. But would you want to go to an open house right now? So there's good news in some of this, though, that Rowena has offered walking tour videos of homes since 2007 on every listing just like the real thing, which means your buyers can tour your home without having to leave their home. Everybody stay safe, right? Start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton. Give her a call at 333-4483 or mountainhomehunt.com. That's mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. All right, so did the Trump administration do enough Early on, CNN's Jim Acosta asked that question. This may be an uncomfortable question, but what would the models have looked like that Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci showed us if we had started the social distancing guidelines sooner in February or January when China, South Korea were uh, doing those sorts of things? Well, I'm going to let that, I'm going to let that answer that. In yeah. terms of what information we're getting from them, but if we yeah. had started these practices sooner, could these models be different? Right yeah, now? I'm going to let them answer the question, but remember this, and again, I say it. And everybody says it. You know who says it better than anybody is Dr. Fauci. I had a decision to make. Maybe it was my biggest decision. China was heavily infected. And thousands and thousands of people were coming from China to the United States. And against the wishes, not even wishes, but they disagreed with the decision, I made a decision to stop China from coming in. Took a lot of heat, even from China. They weren't exactly happy. I just made a trade deal. A big one, $250 billion trade deal, and I'm shortly thereafter saying you can't come into our country. 
That was a big decision. That was earlier than the date you're talking about. So that was a big decision. That was probably, and by the way, not because I did it, that was probably the biggest decision we made so far. But if you look at the one graph, the problem New York has is New York started late, but the other ones didn't start so late. Now, New York is also more complicated because, you know, for obvious reasons, but it got a late start. Yeah. And so can also can you imagine the outcry that would have occurred had Donald Trump not just banned travel from China, say, back in uh, in December before? I mean, first off, you would have to assume that they somehow knew what was happening in China, even though China was lying, shutting down labs, destroying lab samples, uh, censoring doctors, then throwing out all of the journalists like you'd have to assume a lot of knowledge that the uh, American government had back in December. But imagine if Trump had gone ahead and travel uh, did the travel ban then and then imagine he started doing like screenings and stuff and uh, mandatory court quarantines and uh, it starts st- could you imagine a stay at home uh, uh, order that gets issued in January January first week of January can you imagine what people would be saying about Donald Trump now and at that time uh, Dr. Burks explained the problem uh, is and has been getting the data so we really can't answer your question until we can get antibody testing out there because what we can't tell you is in, and we can always do this. There's always samples in hospitals and other things. It's the way we really defined the HIV epidemic in the United States. We were able to go back to blood samples when we had the test and really find out where it was and what was going on. We really need to look in here and really see, was there virus significantly circulating in early March and in late February, and what did it look like, and where was it, and was it all in the metro areas? And I think that's what Dr. Fauci and I are very, very focused on, is getting serology testing out there to really figure out when it came um, and really have those samples to be able to do that. Um, Did you understand the, the painful part of my question? And, and please, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, we understand, but, but, but we can't answer it until, yeah, saying until we see that. If we had that. started this sooner, we might not have 100,000 to 200,000 Americans dying. Well, that makes an assumption that it was here. Lot, there was a lot back here that we didn't see. Um, and until we have the antibody tests, I can't really answer that. Uh, just to underscore what, what Dr. Burks was saying, if there was no virus in the background, there was nothing to mitigate. If there was virus there that we didn't know about, then the answer to your question is probably yes. Now, the only trouble with that is that whenever you come out and say something like that, it always becomes almost a soundbite that gets taken out of context. No, really? <laughs> That's exactly what they're looking for. Right. They want to be able to say that had the Trump administration done more earlier, then these hundred thousand people would still be alive today. Ergo, Donald Trump killed all of these people, much like Mitt Romney killed that woman at the factory. uh, Remember that they used in the campaign ad that he gave this woman cancer like this is the kind of weaponization uh, of uh, a crisis that is just so repugnant. And Fauci. We played the soundbite the other day or yesterday, right, of Fauci talking about uh, on WMAL uh, talking about the media trying to find a way to uh, to drive a wedge between Trump and him. And Jim Acosta with CNN, he's then cited he then goes on to cite other nations responses, including China, he says, suggesting that uh, that their responses could have prompted a more robust response from us earlier. Fauci said 
that it would be nice to have known what was going on there. That's that's what he said, going on there, meaning China. But he said, we acted very, very early. Then Vice President Pence comes up and he says, look, January 21st, Donald Trump restricted flights from China. And then shortly after that, we treated... Um, uh, or uh, we did agreements with uh, other Asian nations to start screening all of the passengers. And all of that was an attempt to limit the odds that the, uh, that the virus even makes it into America. And Pence said that the experts say that bought us time. Prevention, essentially, that prevention strategy then morphed into a mitigation strategy. Is there any fairness to the criticism that you may have lulled Americans into a false sense of security when you were saying things like it's going to go away? Well, it is. And that sort of thing. But, Jim, it's going away. But when you were saying... It's going to go away, hopefully, at the end of the month. And if not, it hopefully will be soon after that. But hasn't your thinking on this evolved? it is going away. Hasn't your thinking on this evolved? You're taking it more seriously now. I think from the beginning, uh, my attitude was that we have to give this country... I know how bad it was. All you have to do is look at what was going on in China. It was devastation. And well, yeah, look at the numbers from China, those initial numbers coming out from China. But, you know, I read an article today, which was very interesting. They say, we wish President Trump would give more bad news. Give bad news. I'm not about bad news. I want to give people hope. I want to give people a feeling that we all have a chance. I mean, when when you saw when you saw the numbers, and when John and all of you saw those numbers, and you're saying 120,000 people, you mean that's good? 100,000 dead people within a short period of time. I want to give people a feeling of hope. I could be very negative. I could say, wait a minute, those numbers are. Terrible. This is going to be horrible. This is a horrible thing. Hey, Jim. Last month and said, okay, let's go to the beach. Let's go to the airport. Let's go down to Mardi Gras. Well, there were a lot of people. There were a lot of people that could have said that. We didn't say that. Fortunately, I didn't say that. And that was an alternative. We talked about it. That was always an alternative. That's what I said. Let it rip. Let it ride. Do nothing. And we could have had 2.2 million dead people. More than that. Because I didn't do that. And we did catch it early, and we stopped China really early, and we stopped Europe really early because I saw what was happening. What what happened is I stopped Italy because Italy was really heavily infected. We started off with certain parts of Italy, then all of Italy, then we saw Spain. Then I said, stop Europe. Let's stop Europe. We have to stop them from coming here. Europe. I love Europe. But they were having problems. I don't think anybody did a better job than that, especially when you see the 2.2 million number. And I hope we're going to be substantially under the numbers that you're looking at, at on the minimum side. Then I think we will have, hey, look, it's still tremendous death. You weren't just hoping that it would dissipate, that this would disappear. I want to be positive. I don't want to be negative. I have to, I'm a positive person. Somebody said, oh, I wish you'd be more negative. They literally have that. It's in one of the wonderful newspapers today. I wish you'd be more negative. Well, this is really easy to be negative about, but I want to give people hope, too. You know, I'm a cheerleader for the country. We're going through the worst thing that the country's probably ever seen. Look, we had the Civil War. We lost 600,000 people, right? Here's the thing. Had we not done anything, we would have lost many times that. But we did something, and so it's going to be hopefully way under that. 
But, you know, we lose more here potentially than you lose in world wars as a country. So there's nothing positive. There's nothing great about it. But I want to give people in this country hope. I think it's very important. It was going to be this severe when you were saying this was out of control. I thought it could be. I knew everything. I knew it could be horrible and I knew it could be maybe good. Don't forget, at that time, people didn't know that much about it. Even the experts, we were talking about it. We didn't know where it was going. We saw China, but that was it. Maybe it would have stopped at China. We wish we could have killed it in China, but it didn't happen. It started spreading to Europe. It started spreading here. It started spreading all over. But, and I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying that we have an incredible thing. I think the people, our professionals, our military, our governors, our politicians, I think they've done an incredible job. I mean, with few exceptions, I think they've done an incredible job. But I don't want to be a negative person. It'd be so much easier for me to come up and say, we have bad news. We're going to lose 220,000 people, and it's going to happen over the next few weeks. And with that, I did start off by saying today, long before this question, I said, this is going to be a rough two or three weeks. This is going to be one of the roughest two or three weeks we've ever had in our country. We're going to lose thousands of people. When I see 28, 29 people from the governor of New Jersey, 29 people. When you see 173 people died in New York yesterday, or whatever the number was, I think it was more than that. When you see the kind of numbers that we're witnessing, we've never seen numbers like that. So it's easy to be negative. And then everybody could be negative, but I'm a cheerleader for our country, and I want them to do a great job. So the number can be kept, and I've always said it, I want as few a number of people to die as possible. And that's all we're working on. Are you, you don't like the question, but are you now taking responsibility? I don't mind the question. Do you, do you mind? I don't mind are your you, question. I think, I think it's actually, I think it's, it's not meant to be. Point. Look, I know you well enough. So it's not meant to be a fair question, but it is a fair question. I think we've done a fantastic job. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll accept your word. Look, Jim, I think we've done a great job. We're going to see how it comes out. But when you look at minimal numbers of 120,000 people, when you look at it could have been 2.2 million people died and more if we did nothing, if we just did nothing, it would have gone up and would have come down. As per your statement, it would have been confined. It would have been a similar time, maybe even less time. It would have been a violence like we've never seen in this country before. We had great professionals, great military, really great governors and politicians. I cannot say enough about what's going on. And as per what you said, I think we're way ahead of schedule in terms of numbers. I think, I hope. But if we can keep it under the minimum numbers, uh, the country has done, not me, the country has done a, a great job. Right. So the 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 minimum number he's talking about there is the 100,000. That's at the that's the lower end of the the curve of the prediction curve, okay? Uh the upper end is somewhere around 220,000. So a quarter of a million people. 100 to 220. That uh and and, and that's sort of the and she, Dr. Burks gets into the con, uh, the confidence interval and a description of like statistics. And I'm not even going to try to do that on the radio. It's not going to not. I don't even really understand it all. Uh, but God bless her for trying. But um, the idea here is that all of the mitigation efforts that were put in place and are ongoing in various places still have the ability to impact that model and the pro- and the projections. But it's going to be happening in the next two weeks. We're going to start seeing it 
sometime in, I mean, it's already started in New York. Uh, but there is some good news. As I mentioned yesterday, San Francisco and California that essentially went on this lockdown, uh, you know, weeks ago, their numbers are looking much better than New York City's numbers. They had a different approach. And so right now, all of the projections nationwide is going to include the New York stats. And maybe those stats are more accurate for more places, or maybe it's San Francisco that's more accurate for more places. And that's going to have an impact on the numbers. Because Dr. Burks then later comes back and addresses this question uh, again, because Jim Acosta is very, very keen you know, to get the president to acknowledge that he's responsible for 100,000 deaths minimum. Okay, so here's Dr. Burks coming back later to address this point. Um, when you talk about could we have known something different, you know, I think all of us, I mean, I was overseas when this happened in Africa, and I think when you looked at the China data originally and you said, oh, well, there's 80 million people are 20 million people in Wuhan and 80 million people in Hubei, and they come up with a number of 50,000, you start thinking of this more like SARS than you do this kind of global pandemic. I mean, I'll just be frank. That's when I looked at it, I was like, oh, well, this is not, you know, if as close as those quarters are, you know. So I think the medical community made interpreted the Chinese data as that this was serious but smaller than anyone expected because I think probably we were missing a significant amount of the data now that when we see what happened to Italy and we see what happened to to Spain I don't know why that got cut off there to Spain Um, but did you hear what she said there at the end she said we were missing significant data at the outset What is she talking about there? Rhymes with Mina, starts with a C. Yeah, this is China's pandemic. That they they unleashed this on the world by their acts and failure to act. Right? They took uh, they took active measures that allowed this virus to spread. They destroyed lab samples. That is not something you do, right? That's not something you do if you're trying to stop the spread of a, a virus. You, they lied about whether or not it's transmittable human to human. They kept that from everybody for weeks. They allowed millions of people, 7 million people, to leave Wuhan province after the lunar uh, uh, celebrations or whatever they had down there. Uh, this massive party... Uh, in Wuhan province, they they allowed 7 million people to leave the area and travel back from whence they came. Yeah, this is this is why the medical community and people like Dr. Burks who follow this stuff, she said she was overseas and when she first heard about it, she thought, oh, it's like SARS and China's on top of it because you look at the population and you look at the number of infections and deaths and it's like, okay, so it seems like they're they're on it and it's not what we're seeing now but we are seeing this in real time now and you see then when it first hits this by the way you know why it hit italy like it has italy apparently in the northern part has a a very large chinese uh, population and so people who went to wuhan came back with it and 
they then spread it, and Italy was complete. They were the first ones. They were completely unprepared for what happened. Because, again, everyone thought China was acting responsibly because, well, uh, not the least of which, they signed a freaking treaty that said they're supposed to act responsibly and work with the rest of the uh, the world in c- trying to combat and identify strains and stuff like that. When you're doing this kind of uh, globalization effort, everybody's got to be in communication uh, when it comes to trying to, uh, to stop global pandemics, viruses from spreading. But if you're not going to play by those rules, you're out. You're out. That's it. We can't, no, I mean, that, I mean, think about it. It's like saying, okay, well, I know that our uh, next door neighbor, they've got, you know, uh, some highly contagious flu or chicken pox or something, uh, but they want us to keep coming over and visiting with them and bringing them food and letting, uh, letting them cook us food too. Well, okay, well, just to be neighborly, I guess we should go over there just repeatedly. No, no, <laughs> not going to do that. Not going to do that. Now, maybe you can take some measures to get over the illness and then I'll, you know, then we can sort of uh, uh, go about uh, trading again, you know, cup of sugar for a quarter milk, that kind of thing. But, but no, not in the meantime. So so, sorry, China. Sorry. And I know that this has huge ramifications. It's This is going to upend the entire, uh, entire global order of things. That's my prediction. Um, But I don't know. I don't know. And nobody else does. I, um, I do know that if you are looking for, Military surplus, though, uh, you want to go to a real military surplus store, and that is Old Grouch's military surplus. Online at oldgrouch.com. Uh, Tim is not the original Grouch. He's so I guess he's the right. He's the 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 NG because the OG was his dad, Buddy. He was the original Old Grouch. Um, and uh, when when Buddy passed away, uh, Tim took over the business, and uh, this has been. Uh, the, the last few weeks, Tim has been a great resource for people uh, to th- that have been asking him questions about being prepared. He spent, he says, he spent about eighty uh, percent of his time giving advice and about twenty percent on sales. That's what he was doing before <laughs> all of this erupted. Um, but you can go to his website. He's adapting as well, um, and you can go to his website and see all the stuff that he's got to offer, and you never know. He's got new stuff coming in and out through there all the time. Uh, it's an old-school military surplus store, but he's got a great mix of modern and vintage items. So uh, head on over to oldgrouch.com. Use the promo code PETE and get 10% off, or uh, you know, mention my name to him uh, if you go into the store, but I believe his store is now closed. I don't think he counts as essential, according to GovCo. I would designate him as such, but... <laughs> Although he may not, he may not want to see you. <laughs> Anybody coming in without masks and uh, lathered up in uh, sanitizer. <laughs> so, oldgrouch.com uh, and tell him uh, you heard it here on the show. All right, so here is a um, question from John. Uh, the response, I should say, from Fox News is John Roberts, who asks, "Wait a minute, if this model." Uh, says that uh, we could see 100,000 deaths with full mitigation, then how can you say you want to push the number lower? If this is full mitigation and it's 100,000, why am I standing here saying I want to make it better? Because that's what the model tells you it's going to do. What we do is that every time we get more data, you feed it back in and relook at the model. Is the model really telling you what's actually going on? And again, I know my modeling colleagues are going to 
not be happy with me. But <laughs> models are as good as the assumptions you put into them. And as we get more data, then you put it in, and that might change. So even though it says, according to the model, which is a good model that we're dealing with, this is full mitigation. As we get more data, as the weeks go by, that could be modified. Date, so does that make sense? So because what you're, you may see this graphic, and it's got like a solid black line that is the curve, and then it's got these little gray areas above the black line and below the black line, and that's the confidence interval, right? So you could go, it could go anywhere inside of it. Think of it like a hurricane track, right? That line, as it, unf as it, as you know, real time proceeds, that line can move anywhere within that gray area with relative confidence that that's with sort of think of it like margin of error, if you will. Um, but as you get new data, all of that changes and maybe the whole thing gets lower or maybe the whole thing gets bigger. So if you look at cities that had responses uh, and then outbreaks more like New York than, say, Seattle and California, we could see a, uh, a much higher curve and much higher death toll. New York had community spread pretty early, and it went really quickly. California and Washington State reacted early, and uh, they've kept it sort of low and steady. And like one example that President Trump uh, offered was in Seattle, there was like a, a high number of cases, but it all occurred at, uh, or like this one hotspot was, uh, I think he said it was a retirement center. And so they were able to essentially contain that center. So yes, while the stats look high, the spread wasn't great, right? So there's all these all these nuances to reading the data, right? As is always the case. Okay, and then here is, the, this is the last clip that I've got. Uh, it's about almost three minutes. So I'm gonna go ahead and play it. But this was actually a, a, a sentiment that I heard being expressed by a lot of folks in the conservative media world, but also on the left. But think of what would have happened if we didn't do anything. I mean, I've had many friends, business people, people with great actually common sense. They said, why don't we write it out? A lot of people have said, a lot of people have thought about it. Write it out. Don't do anything. Just write it out and think of it as the flu. But it's not the flu. It's vicious. When you send a friend to the hospital and you call up to find out how is he doing, it happened to me, where he goes to the hospital, he says goodbye, he's sort of a tough guy, a uh, little older, a little heavier than he'd like to be, frankly. And you go up the next day, how's he doing? And he's in a coma? This is not the flu. So we would have seen things had we done nothing. But for a long while, a lot of people were asking that question, I think, right? And I was asking it also. I mean, a lot of people were saying, well, let's just write it out. This is not to be written out. Because then you would have been looking at potentially 2.2 million people or more. 2.2 million people in a relatively short period of time. Uh, if you remember, uh, they were looking at that Concept is a concept, I guess. You know, it's a concept. If you, if you don't mind death, a lot of death. Uh, but they were looking at that in the UK. Remember, they were very much looking at it, and all of a sudden they went hard the other way because they started seeing things that weren't good. So they they were, you know, they put themselves in a little bit of a problem. Now Boris tested positive, and I hear he's. I hope he's going to be fine. But in the UK, they were looking at that. Uh, 
and they have a name for it, but we won't even call we won't even go by the name, but it would have been it would have been very catastrophic, I think, if that would have happened. But that was something that everybody was talking about, Steve, like just don't do anything. Don't do anything. Forget about everything. Just write it out. They use the expression write it out. We would have had at a minimum 1.5, 1.6, but you would have had perhaps more than 2.2 million people dying in a very short period of time. And that would have been a number that the likes of which we've never seen. So now when we look at our package that we just approved for $2 trillion, all of a sudden it seems very reasonable, right? When you're talking about 2 million lives, all of a sudden it seems very reasonable. I must say, a lot of people that have been seeing the more advanced numbers, because these are much more advanced numbers now. You know, when you first started, we didn't know, and this was a different kind of a virus, and nobody knew that much about it. Even the experts, you don't really know where it's going. But then they see what goes on in Italy, and they see what goes on in Spain. Uh, and you see uh, France is having a very hard time. Right, and then we adapt. We adapt. That's the key. Um on a lighter note here, I got an email from uh, T. Parker who says, Pete, can you request Governor Cooper to ask Governor Andrew Cuomo to expand the Cuomo travel ban from just government officials to anybody from New York? Uh, would keep, uh, it would keep those New Yorkers fleeing COVID-19 from landing here and allow us to take care of our own. Governor Cuomo issued Executive Orders 155-156, member banning all non-essential travel to North Carolina and Mississippi back in 2016 over the HB2 bill yes but it was only to it was only for uh for government employees so yeah maybe could you expand that out for everybody maybe just an idea we're just spitballing here we're all about solutions if you like the program please uh consider subscribing to the podcast links are at the pete calendar show and thank you for all the support uh we'll talk to you later don't break anything while i'm gone